You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Crispy Doc from CrispyDoc.com, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, my name is Kevin Poe. I'm an internal medicine physician, founder and editor of KevinMD.com, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, this is Side Hustle Scrubs. I'm an ER doctor who writes at SideHustleScrubs.com, and you are listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. McFrugal. I'm an anesthesiologist from California. I write at drmcfrugal.com, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, Doc G, I'm surrounded by a panel of physicians. And our question today is, why do or why should doctors pursue financial independence? Crispy Doc, would you mind going first, please? I'm Crispy Doc. I'm an emergency physician working out of Southern California. I had originally sort of hit a wall of burnout, hence the name. And uh, financial literacy conversion experience was what ultimately turned me onto the path of financial independence and in the process led me to a job that I actually fell back in love with by doing less of it. Wonderful. Thanks for being on here today. Kevin, do you mind introducing yourself? Sure. My name is Kevin Poe. I'm an internal medicine physician. I practice in Nashua, New Hampshire, which is about 45 minutes north of Boston. I'm the founder and editor of KevinMD.com. And why I think physicians should pursue financial independence is really, as I'm sure a lot of these other doctors would say, as a path to help with physician burnout. Half of us in the country are burnt out from our jobs. And for me personally, being financially independent from medicine gave me the opportunity to cut back and really continue what I do in primary care. Wonderful. Thank you for being on here today. Side Hustle Scrubs, you're up next. My name is Side Hustle Scrubs. I'm an ER doctor on the East Coast. I write at SideHustleScrubs.com and I like my job. Wonderful. Thanks for being on here. Dr. Merfrugal, you're up next. Can you give us a quick intro, please? Sure. I am Dr. McFrugal. I'm an anesthesiologist and an interventional pain specialist in California. I write about a variety of things at Dr. McFrugal, including finance, minimalism, and travel. All right. So I want to start the conversation with you, Dr. McFrugal. Today, I was reading Physician on Fire, and he had a post about a physician who decided to retire early at the age of 51. And what he found is when he went to go tell his patients, he actually got a lot of scorn and anger. 
Tell me, what do you think about that? Honestly, I was very shocked. I saw some of the responses and some of his patients said that they hated him. And I can't believe that a patient who had a relationship with a doctor for so long had such a response of hate after learning that the physician wanted to retire. Honestly, I was very shocked and quite frankly disappointed too. Crispy, bounce off this for me. Why would a doc want to retire at 51? If anyone has gone through the sort of broken practice of medicine, the question would probably be why wouldn't a doctor want to retire at that age or earlier if possible? I think most of us come into medicine fairly idealized in terms of what we're going to do. We're going to be, you know, helping people, but we're also going to be doing things for the right reasons. And we find that a combination of bureaucracy, of uh, just oppressive work situations, we no longer own our business. It's owned externally. And so we're dictated to by people who don't necessarily know the medicine. It becomes very challenging to practice medicine the way that we wanted to. I think your narrative, Doc G, as someone who sort of opted out of that system as a way to practice medicine the right way is very representative that if you can take control of your finances, then you can take control of your time and suddenly you can practice medicine the way that is meaningful and important to you and valuable to your patients. Side hustle, I wonder about your narrative a little bit. You write about doing various side hustles and yet you just said in your introduction that you're really happy with being a doctor. Is that a duality? Do those two go together or are they opposed? I think they are opposed. I do like clinical medicine. And even if I could leave clinical medicine and make doctor money doing these side gigs, I don't think I'd be as happy. I enjoy the variety, but at the end of the day, I, I enjoy clinical medicine and I don't see myself walking away from it. Kevin, I'm wondering, you've been writing on the internet about medicine since, you know, 2004, 2005. Were we having these conversations back then in 2005 about leaving medicine or side hustles or about alternative careers? Definitely not. I think the whole side hustle financial independence phenomenon, I would say, is probably within the last five to seven years. And I think Jim Daly with White Coat Investor, and he's kind of spearheading that movement. And now we have dozens and dozens of physician fire sites that really give us a way to not just get out of medicine, but also really to blend what we like to do and practice medicine the right way. I think really you want to reframe this not so much as side hustle, but it's really physician empowerment. I think that a lot of things that we do, the things that I face with primary care, you know, whether it's the EMR, the bureaucracy, the fact that a lot of practices are owned now and we're all employers, we're losing a lot of that empowerment that we used to have 5, 10, 20 years ago. And being financially independent and having the ability to do side hustles takes some of the pressure off of medicine and really gives us our empowerment back in terms of directing us professionally as to where we want to go. McFrugal, as Kevin is talking about this, I wonder a little bit because I consider Kevin and I to be a little bit antecedent to your history, right? You're a little younger than us. I think when I was training, and I assume when Kevin was training, doctors felt more empowered. On the other hand, I have a feeling that when you were training, maybe five or 10 years later, this was more a part of your narrative in training. Were docs talking about alternative careers and side hustles and finances in medical school and residency for you? No. When I graduated medical school and went to residency, it was actually the beginning of the Great Recession. And there was a lot of changes, the theoretical Affordable Care Act and different forms of compensation. And so a lot of doctors were actually uh, fearful of what was to come. 
And I think a lot of them didn't have the flexibility or adaptability that financial independence could provide. I want to transition to side hustle on this question too. When you came out of residency, did you already know that you were going to pursue these side gigs and side hustles? Or was that something that happened after you started your career? And what led you in that direction? I never thought this is where I was going to end up. When I first started, like all you guys, I was just worried about being a new attending and trying not to kill too many people. A few years in, I kind of maxed out as much as I could make as an ER doc. And in the Eat What You Kill group, I hadn't just maxed out my income, but I was making more than everyone else in the group. And I was just interested in looking for other ways to make money, particularly as a way to eventually not be working nights, weekends, and holidays so much. Crispy, I think when we talk about physicians and personal finance and financial independence, there's a certain duality. Part of that duality is what Side Hustle was just talking about. He was talking about ways of making more money, increasing income. But the other part of the duality is the moniker of your blog, Crispy Doc, it's dealing with burnout. You call your blog your midlife crisis blog. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So I think one of the big differences that we'll find is that we're at the end of the capital D doctor generation. People who put medicine at the center of their lives and everything else that included their families, their spouses, their loved ones, any other obligations were basically secondary. And what you find is medicine as currently practiced can kind of chew you up and spit you out. And you don't feel like you have the autonomy and the flexibility that once you start to approach middle age, you really start to value. I think that what we're finding, especially if you look at some of the millennial docs, is that people are really looking for balance. And that balance was not something that used to be a feature of medicine. In fact, people who signed up essentially acknowledged and accepted that they would lead a life of imbalance and they sort of sentenced the people around them to accept that. So the article that you referenced earlier on Physician on Fire about a doc who was retiring, probably the most offensive and vituperative comments on his news actually came from fellow physicians in the comment thread there. And those were physicians who saw medicine as a mandatory martyrdom. And what we're seeing is that there's a transition. Those martyrs in medicine can no longer hang the younger generation on the crosses that they erected. We're not willing to accept that. And I think that financial independence has come about because when physicians who are relatively smart people and who can master the Krebs cycle and acid base uh, realize that actually mastering their personal finances isn't that complicated, seems a little intimidating, but is no more intimidating than that first chest tube or intubation, they're realizing they can control their time and they can crawl down off that cross that someone without their input erected for them. Kevin, let's talk a little bit about Doctor on Doctor Crime. When you started this blog, most of your audience was either baby boomers or Gen Xers, mostly doctors, some nurses, some therapists, etc. Now, as the years have passed, I imagine you have a large helping of millennials commenting and writing on your site. Are you seeing a lot of clashing between the generations? I think there's always going to be a slow transition. I think what Crispy Doc said about some of the older generation physicians, they may not be used to their colleagues retiring at the age of 50 or 51. They're not used to the concept of financial dependence. I was speaking at PrimeMed just a couple of weeks ago, and physician burnout is a pretty popular topic there. So one of the doctors I was talking to is that you know one of the ways that we need to crawl out of this physician burnout problem is become financially independent, be less dependent on our 
W-2 jobs in, in medicine and have other sources of income. And it was like a light bulb went off in his head and it was a complete revelation to him and it, it never even crossed his mind. So obviously the people on this panel and you and I, we're f familiar with the financial independent movement in the physician community. But outside of our small world, the greater medical world as a whole, it's really a foreign concept to them. Like everything in healthcare, there's going to be a slow acceptance and a slow transition. So when you have physicians who are retiring early or they're cutting back to 0.75 FTE or 0.5 FTE, yeah, you're going to expect some pushback for the doctors who quote unquote paid their dues and are practicing into their 60s and 70s. And, you know, they're going to encounter some pushback. And you know what? That's okay. That's going to be part of the territory because as the millennial physicians, as they evolve and as they practice longer, they're going to want that balance. They're going to want to see their kids grow up. They're not going to enslave themselves to a life of martyrdom, as Crispy Doc said. So we're really kind of paving the way for them. And you know that pushback is something that I accept and I, I anticipate, but Really, it's not going to influence me because I believe that this is the most powerful way that we could escape this scourge of burnout is really to be less financially independent, less dependent on employed income that we get. And uh, I think the fact that we're having this panel discussion and trying to bring this into the forefront is really beneficial. I think there is this society's needs versus personal needs. So there's no question out there that we worry about not having enough physicians in the future. Side hustle, is there a moral ethical reason to stay in medicine? A lot of society does frown on the idea of us leaving, just as we saw in the Physician on Fire article, the patients were not happy with this. Now, some of that obviously was the idea of personally losing their physician, but you wonder too, if there's some anger about people leaving the profession. Well, I think there's an ethical problem with staying and doing a job you hate and resenting your patients the whole time you're there. I think that part of being a good doctor is being patient, being empathetic. And when you're toasted and you're at the end of your rope, I think it's okay to walk away. I don't think there's a bunch of actuaries or other professionals out there who are wringing their hands about early retirement the way doctors do. Exactly. I have a question about that very point is why is there this mantle of martyrdom with physicians that doesn't seem to apply. You don't hear about people trying to retire early as a pilot and they're, oh, this, this terrible moral ethical decision that you must continue to fly people across the country. But there is with physicians. Why is that? Do you have any thoughts on that side hustle? Well, I think we're the victims of our success. How many of your parents were excited to hear that you were going to become a doctor? How many of your spouses and families were excited that they were marrying a doctor? There's some prestige and respect with it. But the flip side of that coin is that people hold you to a higher standard than they hold themselves. I think that there's a lot of merit to that point. But this isn't the only profession that has prestige associated to it. Even to some degree, teachers have a prestige. But there seems to be something deeper attorneys, investment bankers. There are a lot of other professions that have prestige associated with it. There is something deeper here that I'm not sure I have the answer to that maybe you guys have an insight to that I don't. Why are specifically physicians over any other profession, there's this obligation that you are not helping and serving at a level that the rest of society expects of you? I think there's an intimacy with the physician-patient relationship that you don't necessarily have with your attorney or your accountant or your engineer. 
I think Side Hustle Scrubs would attest that we're one of the rare professions where within a minute or two of meeting you, we'll be asking very intimate, invasive questions that you probably have never answered for the people who are closest to you, but that you would be likely to answer honestly. And so when I walk into a room and I have that rapport and I have that small window to establish that rapport, these folks are trusting us. Uh, And there's a very deep trust because the body, unlike your car or an IRS manual, does not come with a functional user's manual. So I think that intimacy and that level of trust is something that's fundamentally human and that brings out this very strong reaction. When someone loses their doctor, that's a big deal if that's a doctor that they've had a longstanding relationship with. Kevin, I'm wondering, you know, there's a difference between theoretical and actual. And we do a lot of theoretical hand-wringing about physicians retiring early. But do you think it's actually happening? I know that there are few who have been very vocal and who have done it. But are we seeing an en masse group of physicians leaving to retire early? I certainly don't have data on this, but I, rather than saying that they're retiring early, I see a lot of physicians that are cutting back. So they're not necessarily leaving the profession. Like they're like me, like I practice 0.75 FTE. I see patients three and a half days a week. So I think that there's always going to be a choice of what you value. You're going to value time or you're going to value money. And there are physicians who fall in the latter camp and they're going to be practicing and working 80, 100 hour weeks. But I think there's a growing proportion of physicians who are going to be valuing time. They want to see their kids grow up. They want to go to their son or daughter's soccer game and they don't want to miss their basketball practice. And for those physicians, they're going to practice maybe 0.5, 0.75 FTE. So I certainly don't think that a lot of doctors are leaving en masse, but I do think that if they could, more physicians are taking less hospital shifts. They're taking less night shifts. They're taking less weekends. They're working 0.875, 0.75 FTE. They're not seeing patients five days a week. So I think that trend is only going to progress. The advent of hospitalists for me affected me in primary care. When I first started out back in 2002, I had not only had to see patients, I had to see patients at two hospitals, at a round in nursing homes. And I thought to myself, if I, I, there's no way that I can do that now. Right now, I, I pretty much go to my clinic. I leave by 4.30, 5 o'clock. I can make my daughter's basketball games. And, you know, is there going to be some pushback from patients and administrations? Sure. But I also think that it's also prolonged what I do. If I didn't have the opportunity to work less than full-time, I may have quit. And those patients would be without a primary care doctor. So in a way, it's a little bit paradoxical. By cutting back, I think it's really prolonged what I do in primary care. Yeah, I want Crispy, you to talk about that too. How did your feelings about medicine change after you discovered financial independence and personal finance? My attraction initially to financial independence was my life looked great on paper. I had this great wife, these two great kids. I lived where I wanted to live in a beautiful place. And my life was miserable because my work owned my time. And financial independence was going to be my way out. It was basically, how long do I have to do this for? When can I get out? And when can I move on to act two? It was not with the intention of prolonging my career. So taking that dictum, I'm not sure if it was Gandhi or if I'm misattributing that of being the change you want to see in the world. I approached my group and I used what goodwill I had, cashed those chips, found allies, and basically changed our group practice so that instead of dividing the number of shifts by the number of doctors, we all named what our target was that was going to be right for our obligations and for our lifestyle. And that was a a huge fundamental shift that took several years to enact. But when it came through, suddenly I was able to cut back significantly. And one of the accidental beauties of that 
I actually fell back in love with medicine by cutting back and by practicing medicine more humanely, by recharging in between, by spending my time the way I wanted to instead of the way the job dictated that I needed to. I actually could do this job for much longer. It's sort of what Kevin was speaking to, that you can actually have a glide path out of medicine that is a much longer tail than just burning out your doctors and chewing them up. I call it the deaf leopard question, right? Is it better to burn out or fade away? And I'm having a ball fading away right now. Side hustle. I could see a lot of people looking at you and saying, you know, you make a lot of money being a physician. Why do side hustles? Why not just take on another shift? Why not just sign up for a little more work in your primary hustle? Part of it is, is I have fun figuring out new ways to make money. But the more practical answer is these side hustles, for the most part, I'm doing in my gym shorts on my couch at home. When I'm working a night shift in the ED, I'm getting my butt handed to me for 12 hours. When I'm reviewing charts, sitting on the couch next to my kids, I'm making doctor's income from the comfort of home. And there's something very addictive about that. So Kevin, I see people talk about physicians and finances. And half the people I talk to think physicians are these chumps who have their big target on their back. And then the other group of physicians I see are incredibly financially savvy. Which one is it? Are we a group of smart, educated financial people? Or are we high income earners who are paying so much attention to being doctors that we're just sitting duck? So obviously the answer is we're both, but I would say the, the vast majority, at least if I were to guess 75, 80% would be, there's very little financial education when it comes to you know, managing the incomes that we get during medical school residency. We're so focused on our patients. We're so focused on medical training. And I think that before you're going to, you know, I would say 85, 90% of physicians, they just didn't have that financial literacy. But now with social media, we're able to connect with like-minded people, uh, not only on Facebook, but we have all these financial independence blogs where we're able to educate each other. I've gotten a tremendous amount of information from the blogs on, on this panel, as well as White Coat Investor, where we're able to to learn from each other. And I think that you know, obviously I'm a social media guy. So I think social media does play a, a huge role in connecting us like-minded physicians who value financial independence and really want to spread the word and, and share that, what we have with the other physicians in this country. Because I do think when it comes to formal medical education, a lot of the practical aspects of being a doctor, how to manage your 401k, how to handle life insurance, how to handle disability insurance, where to put your investment. These are all things that is financial literacy 101. And for me, I think it should be formally taught during residency, but unfortunately it isn't. So I think I am optimistic. I do think that the financially literate physicians are a growing minority, but I still think they're definitely a minority today. And if I could add to that, I think that one of the benefits of having... I keep a tab of the number of physician finance bloggers. Currently, there's an excess of 75 of us. Uh, and I happen to think that's wonderful. Some people feel like, well, gee, isn't that threatening? Or doesn't that take away your audience? I couldn't disagree more. We have sort of lived as physicians where there was a very narrow financial doctor's lounge that we could sit and talk about. And mostly it was who had joined the country club or gotten the new car. And so if you were a dirtbag high earner, like I tend to be, where you'd be perfectly happy living in a youth hostel, there really weren't a lot of people that kind of connected with you on that level. Now that we've got all these physician finance bloggers, if you're someone who is a vegetarian, who enjoys a Hollywood lifestyle, 
there is a physician finance blogger writing specifically with just exactly what you need. If you are someone who opted out and practiced concierge medicine, there's someone who nails that. If you're someone with gallows humor who enjoys sort of burning the candle at both ends and is trying to sort of keep that in check with the needs of your family, there are all of these physician finance bloggers in this virtual doctor's lounge that we never had access to before. And I think it does two things. One of them is the odds are you're going to connect with one of those people out there and their story is going to resonate with you in a way that none of the other people that you practice with might necessarily resonate. Number two is it normalizes what is healthy financial living, which if most of us look back and think of the millionaire next door, the book that came out in the eighties, doctors were identified specifically as prodigious underaccumulators of wealth relative to what our earnings were. We do a lousy job with money historically, but for the first time ever, we've got these social media outlets that can change that. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is... There's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. 
After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. McFrugal, I'm wondering, do you, we tend to be a, a very inclusive group of doctor bloggers, and sometimes it feels like everyone you know is talking about personal finance, but that's obviously not the truth. In your doctor's lounges among your friends uh, when you're in the hospital, are docs aware of personal finance, or is it just all our small group that talks about it? I would say some are. I think some of the younger docs are a little bit more savvy. And I, I talked to some of my colleagues that are younger than, you know, talk about personal finance and a little bit about frugality and investing. We all kind of follow the same blogs and everything. And some of the older docs kind of had to know a little bit about finance just, just because they're going to retire soon. So I, I think it's a big mixed bag. Yeah, I'd ask you the same question, Side Hustle. Are you finding that the physician lounges where you hang out with other doctors, they're talking about personal finance? Or do we just feel that way because we're in this group? Mostly we're in an echo chamber. I'm in a group. It's a democratically owned group. They do take advantage of every tax advantaged account there is. So there, there is some basic understanding of personal finance, but no one is as consumed with this stuff as the people sitting on this panel right now. Kevin, I want to transition a bit. I want to talk about doctors' spending habits because I think in the rest of the world, that's something people really like to talk about, especially non-doctors. Is this phenomenon of keeping up with Dr. Jones, is it still out there? Are we still fighting this fight? You know, I'm not sure. You hear, always hear stories. Uh, if you go to various chat rooms and forums, you certainly hear stories. But hopefully, you know, when you read the blogs, you read the dangers of keeping up with the doctor next door. You do what Jim Dolly says. You want to live like a resident a few years when you have the attending salary. So I think that hopefully with the education that the financial independence bloggers are spreading among the physician community, the great work that uh, White Coat Investor and that you're doing to really spread that message, hopefully. Um, it's going to resonate with uh, especially the newer physicians who are just coming into that attending salary, the resident salary for three, four, five, six, seven years, and all of a sudden they come to this six-figure salary. And, and you have to be careful just because you have that big bump up. You can't just go ahead and, and splurge and, and buy houses and cars and all like that. So I think that that goes with the fact that this movement is spreading, the fact that social media is spreading this information. And I don't think that stereotypical high physician spending, whilst it may be present, I don't think it was as prevalent as it was in the past. Yeah, Side Hustle, I want to come back to you and kind of look at the other side of the coin. Uh, you talked about in a blog post, the live on none challenge. You know, is that authentic for people like us who are making into the six figures and have these high wages? How does that type of talk fall for your average low wage earner when they read our blogs? It's completely unrealistic. Part of the reason I've explored some of these side gigs is easy money that I don't need, and it gets me to FI quicker. But if I was the average Joe, I'd want to kick my butt if I read that title. McFrugal, tell me a little bit about spending for you, too. I've seen you talk a lot about minimalism. I've seen you talk about no spend month. On the other hand, you and I share a certain type of car, which is a little expensive, too. So tell me about the role for physicians in talking about frugality versus wages. 
You know, I, I still think that lifestyle inflation is prevalent in even the young doctors, actually. I think there's an expectation of what a doctor looks like, how a doctor dresses, what a doctor drives. And even there's societal and familial, you know, within the family expectations of how a doctor should act or look like. So I actually see quite a bit of lifestyle inflation. In terms of what I do, I am a strong believer of buying uh, what really aligns to your values and making sure that what you're spending money on is really important to you and it contributes to your happiness. Because if it doesn't, then it's just going to make you poor and not as happy as you were. Crispy, I'm wondering if you connect to this. Do you feel bad for purchases now that you're out there blogging and talking about personal finance? Uh, We like to talk a lot about opportunity costs. Do you worry that you are not being authentic if you decide something that costs a lot of money has value to you? I might be a little bit out of the norm in the sense that I grew up kind of in an immigrant family where there was not a lot of emphasis on spending. So I was an innate saver and raised, if, if you believe in tabula rasa, that's what my parents wrote on this. And being frugal kind of led to sort of awkward conversations. I'm living in coastal Southern California and uh, a friend dropped off his daughter to play with my daughter and he said he was taking his older daughter shopping for jeans. And I said, you know, I'm just going to tell you, I found a fantastic place. I really haven't heard other people talking about it. There's this Goodwill, and I told him the cross street. And he kind of looks at me, smiles, and says, I think that's where we donate our clothes. So I think I may be a little bit the odd man out, but I think being comfortably a misfit is probably a big part of my unfair advantage. And I think that there are a lot of docs out there that if they can develop that sense of being an outsider in medicine, that sense that they're similarly a misfit, it's your superpower when it comes to saving and spending. And it lets you align, like uh, Doc McFrugal was saying, your spending with your values. So personal finance is going to be personal. You can drive a really nice car and still have very solid, reasonable values in spending. It's more a matter of making that an explicit choice. Kevin, I want to transition to you on this one because I feel like Kevin MD is one of the largest marketplaces for physician ideas. And so this is the place where we can talk about what's important to us. How much talking do we do about making the right spending choices? Does that play well on the blog? It's a growing proportion of my site. I started including physician finance topics, I say within the last 15 months or so. I certainly think it's been well received from the physician community, uh, from the medical students and the residents. And it also leads them to explore the other blogs that I cross post. So I do think that it's well received within the medical community. But then I also have a lot of non-medical people that read my site as well. As a side hustle says, I think that they don't have a lot of sympathy for these problems of of high earners and financial independence. So I think within the non-physician community who reads my site, uh, I don't think it plays very well to them, but certainly the majority of readers on my site are clinicians. The majority of those clinicians are physicians, and they certainly see that information as valuable. So I think one of the things of having such a broad audience is that you're not going to make everyone happy. There are plenty of topics when I talk about things like healthcare reform or anything political. You're going to anger a good proportion of of the audience, but we're in the healthcare field and rarely do we agree on any single topic. And that goes for personal finance as well. 
Yeah, side hustle. I want to kind of talk to you about this whole issue. I think people sometimes don't feel sorry for us high wage earners because I think in their mind they think, "Boy, we have it easy." Do you think the rest of the world understands the crush of medical school debt? Do you think they realize that along with the high income we have, we often have incredibly high debt too? I don't think anyone, the average American, understands what it's like to have two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars in debt. But at the same time, most people don't know what it's like to make three, four hundred thousand dollars a year. And so, yes, we have a lot of debt, but as a proportion of our annual income, I don't think anyone's pitying us for that. Yeah, McFrugal, I would ask you the same question. You talk a lot about minimalism. Was student debt did that play a role in that kind of interest, or is that just what you're into? I want to make sure I paid my student loan debt pretty fast, and so minimalism played a role in decreasing my spending. In fact, I supercharged it. So yeah, minimalism uh, helped with bringing down my student loan debt for sure. Crispy, let's change topics a little bit. I always think there's a tension in being a physician and talking about personal finance. It's this whole idea of mission versus margin, and a lot of times people want to see doctors as mission driven. Is there shame in talking about margin and talking about money? I would say it depends the context in which you bring it up. I think if I can tell my patients, "Hey, look." I'm working a little bit less because I find that when I do that, and by cutting back, I'm more recharged. I'm a better advocate for your needs. I have more time to read and keep up with the latest literature. Most patients would welcome that. And if being financially savvy is my avenue to being a better doctor to advocate on their behalf, most of them would be thrilled at that. Kevin, I'm wondering. You know, I looked back on your blog, and you have a finance tab. And I tried to look back and figure out when you first started putting things under that finance tab. And it looks somewhere around 2015, 2016. Do you get a lot of personal emails saying, "Hey, doc, why do you keep putting up these posts about finance? We're doctors. Why are we talking about?" I can't say that I have. I think,、um, as I said before, the response has been almost universally positive. I think a lot of the pushback are from the non-physician community. I think that some of the things that I do on my site is really bring out some of the issues that are somewhat hidden from the public. So I talk a lot about things like clinician burnout, and now with this financial literacy、uh, topics, these are things that I think、uh, are well received specifically by the, the physician community because these are practical issues that doctors are dealing with every single day, and there are very few resources out there geared specifically for physicians that answers these problems. So I think that、uh, within the physician、uh, audience, I think that a lot of the response that I've gotten has always been positive. So side hustle. There's talk about personal finance. There's talk about achieving fire, and then there's talk about morbidly obese fire. Tell me a little bit about what that is and whether it's worth going for. Well, morbidly obese fire is essentially when you have so many rolls of cash that you need a surgeon to cut them off of your body. I think it, the reason I wrote that post is that unlike I think some of you guys, I'm, I'm still at a point in my life where I really enjoy clinical medicine. I don't see myself leaving early, but I wrote the post really to ask myself: Is there any amount of wealth that would make me walk away?、Uh, so morbidly obese fire is the point where it just it makes no sense to continue to work. Work for money, which for me, I think if, if I ever reached 50 times my annual spending, that that's essentially bombproof, and there's no reason to work at that point. McFrugal, is there any amount of wealth that you would step away from medicine? 
Not completely, but I would really consider it if I made five, 50 times more than my uh, annual spending for sure. Crispy, I'd send the same question to you. Would there be a reason to walk away if you didn't need it? So I'll answer in two different ways. One of them was before I went into community practice, I was actually seriously considering a career in international medicine. And I think that I would look at that much more seriously once I was an empty nester and the income didn't have as much to do with it. I think the second aspect would be, yeah, there probably is a number because life is short and I have so many different things that I'd like to do with the little bit of life I've been granted. Medicine is just one of them and I've immensely enjoyed it. But it's one on a really long list, and I don't see any reason to just limit myself to one if I had the opportunity to actualize other versions of myself. Kevin, uh, thoughts of sunsetting your practice and uh, going online full-time? Yeah, so there probably is a number. I haven't really thought about what it is. And I think the question is whether, not whether you're going to walk away completely from medicine, but whether you do medicine because you want to or medicine because you have to, right? So there's certainly a difference between that. Can you do medicine as a 1099 job versus a W-2 job, right? So where you could only take shifts when you want to. So it probably would take a significant number for me to completely walk away and just not do any medicine. But I think that more realistically, there's going to be a number where I can walk away from a W-2 job and maybe take shifts as needed or fill in as needed and really work the shifts that, that you want. And again, like I said before, only practice when you want to and not because you have to. Side hustle. Any regrets? If you had the choice, would you do it again? No regrets. I was meant to be an ER doc. McFrugal, any regrets? Would you do it differently knowing what you know now? Uh, not at all. I still like what I do. I love it and no regrets at all. Crispy? You can't pull the entire base out of the Jenga puzzle without having it fall down. And I am really grateful for the life I lead. So I have no regrets. Kevin, you're a talented guy. You've made a huge online presence. You could do this for a lifetime, I imagine. If you had it to do again, would you have started online doing something else? No, I have no regrets. I think as Crispy Doc said, like medicine is the foundation to really what we do. I wouldn't have the opportunities that I have today if I wasn't a physician. I wouldn't have the credibility when I speak to other doctors if I wasn't a practicing internal medicine physician. So I think when we talk about things like side hustles and, and fire, we have to remember that we're physicians first and we wouldn't be in this position if we didn't have medicine to, you know, quote unquote, fall back on really. So I think that we need to have that strong foundation. We're all smart people. We made it through medical school and residency. Whereas before that just gives us the option to see patients or work in a hospital. Now with, you know, social media and all these side hustles, it just gives us such a powerful foundation to take our lives in any direction that we want to. All right, Paul Thompson, if you had a chance to do it again, would you be a doctor? No. It's a good question because there's just nothing about medicine or being a doctor or going through medical school that has ever remotely appealed to me. So it's an interesting question because I hear about what it's like to go through medical school and to figure out the debt and to go through the gauntlet of what it is to be an attending physician. And I just overwhelmed by people who, who, and how exhausting it sounds. And so to all of you who are doctors and to all those who are listening, I'm sure we are thankful because back to the one of the original questions that I asked was, 
why is it so different for doctors? And I really liked your answer, Crispy Doc. There is something so personal that even if you're a pilot and you are taking all those lives in your hands, it's not an imminent and mortal danger at that very moment, unless of a, a very strange scenario when there's a mechanical failure. You're dealing with that mechanical failure in our bodies every single day. And I cannot imagine the stress that that must be like. So thank you for all of you. And I would like for those of you who are listening to this that aren't doctors, aren't in the medical field, that doctors are people. And I think we forget about that. When we're going to get our cared for because our bodies aren't working and we demand the results immediately, we forget that the person who is treating us is actually a person and they're getting tired and they have their lives to take care of. I can't imagine how exhausting that is. So, and to kind of round this out, I'd like to ask the question, this idea of pulling back and having this kind of slow fade, if that takes on over time, which I kind of get that this, we're only in the initial phase of that in the medical field, but medicine is changing. The, the world is changing and medicine along with it. And what does that do to the medical field if at scale, doctors and really anybody in the medical field doesn't have as many hours. I feel like the care might go up, but is it scalable? Is it sustainable? Crispy doctor, any thoughts on that? The medical field is changing. How is this going to work in the future? I view it as a positive because if more docs are financially secure enough where they have the power to say no to crappy jobs, those jobs have to get better. In order to fill the need, we need to make that work environment, something that's sustainable. For a lot of places right now, a lot of doctors feel very stuck. They feel like they don't have a choice, so they are rife for abuse. If we have docs who are cutting back, who are financially empowered by having taken control of their finances, big companies lose that leverage and the jobs have to get better, otherwise they won't get filled. Kevin, thoughts on that? I completely agree. I think that if you have enough physicians who are not reliant on medicine, you're going to lead to policy changes. I think an example of that is paying for ER call. However many years ago, it was expected that specialists would have to come in for ER call. But now, no, more and more physicians are saying, no, we should get paid for this or else we're just not going to come in. And I think that now you're seeing more and more hospitals adapt to that and starting to pay specialists for ER call. So I think what Crispy Doc says, if you have more physicians who value that work-life balance, who are cutting back, it's going to force first on a hospital level to make changes to accommodate that because as physicians, we're going to have choices in terms of where we can work. So hopefully you're going to lead to more and more macro changes as uh, physicians become more financially independent on a hospital level, on a health system level, and then hopefully as a policy level. And I think that, like I said, I do view it as a positive because if you know the, the clinician and specifically the physician shortage, especially in primary care, is real. And if these primary care doctors are standing up, they are saying no, then you know, we, we have choices. And I think that a lot of the health systems, they're going to make the changes to, to be better accommodating. Dr. Merfrugal, where do you see the medical field going as, I think you're the youngest one here, you have a long, the longest career ahead of you. In 40 years from now, where is the medical community and how medicine is being practiced? Good question. I can't predict the future, but gee, 30, 40 years from now, a lot of things could change. Um, there could be AI, there could be different forms of practice. 
more sustainable, like how uh, Crispy Doc and uh, Kevin were saying, then the joy of medicine would be there again. And I think patient care would be more optimal too. It only makes sense, doesn't it? If everybody who's doing their job enjoys it, the net effect must be better. Yeah, I totally agree. Side hustle, where do you see the, the future of the financial independence movement and the doctors who are participating in it? Where is it going? And is it possible for a small group of potentially 75 and growing participants to influence the medical field? I think we have the ability to spread the word. I think it's really an issue of finding our in. If you focus just simply on here's a way to make a bunch of money and save it, people are going to tune that out. But if people like Crispy uh, or Physician on Fire who talk more about here's how you can cut back and enjoy the thing you've decided to do with your life more, I think you're going to open more ears. So I, I think the word will keep spreading. You just need to look for your angle. Well, let's keep the word spreading and let's share with each of you how you, the listeners can get a hold of you or follow along with your blog. Uh, Dr. Merfrugal, how can everybody get a hold of you and what's up next in your career and your blog? So you can follow me at drmcfrugal.com. And uh, in my career, I'm trying to increase financial literacy within uh, my department and my healthcare system. Um, also, I'm trying to improve the wellness aspect of doctors too. Well, thank you for your contribution. Crispy Doc, where can we find you and what's up next for you? You can find me at crispydoc.com. I'm also on Twitter at crispydocblog. And uh, I've found a lot of success in helping docs have playbooks that they share about how they cut back. And I think putting those playbooks out there, letting people know that they're not the first person to face burnout and that there are ways that they can fall back in love with this job by doing it less is going to make it less of a rarity and more something that people consider, especially as we have younger docs who have not necessarily capital D doctor self-images. Well, thank you for your contribution as well. Kevin, where can we find you and what's up next in your life? You could find me at kevinmd.com and I'll continue what I've been doing since 2004 is really creating and growing that platform where not only physicians, but also everyone in the healthcare field, advanced practitioners, nurses and patients, they could really share their insight and tell their story. And that especially goes to financially independent clinicians who are able to spread the word and hopefully help other physicians with their burnout struggles well. And yes, you heard that right. 2004. I'm not sure blogs were called blogs back then. What did you call your first contribution on the internet? Believe it or not, it was a blog. So uh, I think it was just burgeoning in other fields. And I always say medicine is always a few years behind the time. So at that time, I think there were probably a dozen, couple dozen of physician blogs in total. So that's approaching 15 years of contribution. That is amazing. And thank you so much for your service to our community. Side Hustle. Where can we find you and what's up next in your life? Well, you can find me at SideHustleScrubs.com. And what's up next for me is continuing to explore new and creative ways for docs to make money on the side. So before I became a physician, I saw a documentary. I think it was called Becoming a Doctor. And it followed a group of like five or six Harvard medical students through medical school and residency. And it was taped, I think, in the 80s. And it's amazing how much clarity that documentary still holds for me today. And the reason was it showed both the joy and the triumph of being a doctor, 
but it also showed the heart-wrenching pain of being a physician. I remember there was one scene in particular where a medical student was in a, a cardiothoracic bypass surgery, and this patient she had bonded with dies on the table. And she runs out of the room crying. And I can't tell you how much that movie touched me as someone who is pre-medical, but how important it remained in my perspective as I went through medical school residency and even practiced. And I guess what I take from that is this is a tough job. You know, I can say it a million times. I write stories about medicine. It puts you through the ringer a little bit. And it's such an important job. It feels so good, parts of it. But what the public doesn't know is that some of it also feels really bad. So not for everyone, but a lot of physicians get into personal finance because they feel they need a modicum of control in a world that's uncontrollable. We can't control what happens to our patients. We can't control if we had a light day scheduled and all of a sudden we get a bunch of phone calls from sick people or an emergency surgery and we have to run out to deal with it. And when we were 18 and 19 and 20 and dreamed of being a physician, we didn't really care about those things because we were young and we had energy and we hadn't experienced the crushing blow of a death or of the pain or of feeling even responsible. So a lot of people ask why physicians get into personal finance. It's because being a doctor is hard. And you get to this point in your career, no matter how much you love it, that you feel a certain amount of burnout. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're not sleeping sometimes. You end up being cold. You don't necessarily spend as much time with your family as you want. And financial independence is this parachute. It's this promise that you can take control of your life take control of your expenses, take control of your income, and then start taking control of your job, a job that sometimes feels completely uncontrollable. So not every physician, but especially the physicians of my generation, the Gen Xers, and I think the baby boomers too, a lot of us discovered personal finance because it gave us a plan B. It gave us an out when medicine got too hard. What's really heartening though, is that most of us, as we've learned to manage our finances, as we've taken control, we've actually found that we didn't want to escape medicine at all. We wanted to escape parts of medicine. And by having control of the financial portion of our lives, it made work a lot more bearable. So some of the younger physicians are into personal finance because they're a different generation, because work-life balance is important to them, because they want to travel and go out into the world. But a lot of us really found financial independence because it fulfilled a need we had. And it's done a really good job of that, as opposed to pulling physicians away from medicine. I think many less doctors are retiring early or leaving medicine. I think what they're doing is they're cutting back. They're making their schedules more reasonable. They're using personal finance and financial independence as a superpower, but they're using it to stay in medicine. So to me, especially for my personal story, that's part of the why. Part of the why of financial independence and personal finance is that it allows me to go back to enjoying medicine, the medicine that I dreamed of when I was a kid. So it's interesting you say that, Doc. I can tell it's a very personal subject for you because you've gone through all of the stages. I can only imagine what it's like to be a physician and all the the turmoil that uh, that goes along with it, responsibility. You, You mentioned going back. Is that on the horizon for you? From what I understand from your story, you're You've done the cutting back strategy, but you mentioned just now giving you that control to be able to go back. Is that something you're thinking about? Well, so I still maintain 
uh, my role as a hospice physician. So although I've pulled back from physically seeing patients in clinics and in hospitals, I still head up a group of people that takes care of a few hundred hospice patients. So I still am allowed and still can practice medicine. I can meet with social workers and chaplains and nurses, and we can help plan out the care of these people at the end of life. But it's something that's very controllable for me. I can do it on my own time in my own hours. And I can do it without the beeper going off at two in the morning. So in a sense, I haven't left completely. I still do quite a bit of medicine, but I do it on my terms. I do it in a way that feels good instead of feeling bad. Yes, I have this standing theory that achieving financial independence allows you control and it actually makes you a better employee. And I think in the case of the medical field, it makes you a better physician because when you have control of your time, then you can push back against the system, whatever that system is. In y'all's case, it's the medical field. In my case, it was corporate America. And whoever's listening, you have some sort of system you're fighting against, but you're still oftentimes there are aspects of your job that you enjoy, that are part of your calling, that you want to be a part of, but there's all these other parts you don't like. And you get to have that power to push back because you know you can just say, I'm done and walk away and you're financially covered. So it's a lesson, it's a concept that might pour over from this medical conversation to the broader audience who's listening that taking control of your finances, wherever you are, whatever occupation you're in, there are stresses and you can push back on those stresses. And I did that in practice. I hear you guys doing that in practice in your actual medical practices that you can control your destiny. You can control what you are willing to do. And then when you do that thing you're so passionate about, you end up doing it exceptionally well. And whoever your customer or client or patients are, they thrive as a result. Yeah, I think my purpose or our purpose of getting this panel together was twofold. Is one, I think people wonder why we have this group of physicians in personal finance. So I wanted to address that for the greater audience. But getting back to your point, it's like Jim Collins says, it, it all comes back to FU money one way or another. And so physicians, just like everybody else, we want control. And financial independence and personal finance allow us to take control of our lives so that we can be better and find our true purpose in what what we do. And I think for all of us, that's what's up next. This has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we wanted to thank Dr. McFrugal, Side Hustle Scrubs, Crispy Dog, and Kevin Poe from Kevin MD. That's a wrap. All right, guys, that turned out really well. Yeah, thanks for, for that was a really fun conversation. Yeah, it was a great conversation. You guys got a lot of good stuff in there. And I think um, one thing I was worried about is having this show about docs wouldn't really speak to the rest of the personal finance community, but I definitely think it will because I think this stuff we're talking about is, is what the rest of the community needs to hear. Yeah. I, I think everyone has soul sucking moments and they'll relate to those soul sucking moments, right? <laughs> As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast. 
So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.